Hi, I'm Matt Spiro and you're listening to Le Beaujeu Ligue 1's official podcast. There might not be any football in France right now, but the interviews are coming thick and fast here and we have another fascinating Marseille-related chat for you now. Former England youth international Chris Makin surprised a few people when he left Wigan Athletic for Olympique de Marseille back in 1996. And the defender has some great tales to tell about his spell on the south coast of France. Our producer Ian Holyman had the pleasure of talking to Chris about his time in Marseille. Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Le Bourgeois. Today we've got a man who made over 100 Premier League appearances, a tough tackling right back and part of the best Sunderland side in living memory. And as a middle-aged Mackham, I can tell you that was quite a feat. But before he became part of North East folklore, Chris Makin was a Marseille player. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hi, Ian. Nice to be here. Yeah, brilliant to have you with us on Le Bourgeois. Now, Chris, Oldham Athletic... And Wigan Athletic were on your CV before Marseille come calling. How on earth has that before I became Before I became Chris Mackin. <laughs> <laughs> so Get tell us about the... mate. Can you do the introduction, mate, please? <laughs> so, Chris, tell us, tell us about the making of Mackin then. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I became, yeah. Um, it was a, honestly, what... When you think about the two names there, you just said Oldham oh, Athletic and, and Marseille. They don't go together, do they? <laughs> uh, I think, looking back, the Bosman ruling had just come into football. I was coming into the end of my contract at Oldham Athletic. Uh, we played in the Premiership, but we'd gone, been relegated down to the Championship. <clears throat> so I was coming to the end of my contracts. wasn't happy with what Oldham Athletic were offering me. Bosman ruling was in the in the air, so I decided to make the most of it. And luckily enough for me, uh, I had one of the biggest clubs in Europe uh, <laughs> wanted to sign me, so <laughs> I made the jump from Modem Athletic to uh, Marseille. Unbelievable! Yeah, Even I, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it must have been a, it must have been a huge change, both in in <laughs> cultural terms. You've got you, you, you've got your language. I mean, I don't know whether you spoke yeah. any French at the time, um, and and also probably in, in in football terms. What your first day at Marseille? What do what do you find when you arrive at this club? I mean, they were European champions three years before. I was so excited, nervous, uh, intimidated. I remember uh, actually signing the contracts in the offices, and they had all these pictures up of the. Uh, the, the team that won the European Cup three years previously, you know, Botsic, uh, Bolly, Desai, Deschamps, and I'm looking at all these pictures. <laughs> now they just sound me. <coughs> so, <laughs> but I, I, I played for Oldham Athletic in the Premier League. You, you got to remember that like, the size of Oldham Athletic is only a small club back in England, but they managed to make it to the Premier League, which was an incredible achievement. When I first started going to Alderman as a kid, uh, sometimes I was watching games. They had 2,000 uh, supporters there. When I was in the Premier League, we had an average of 15,500 supporters. So the jump in the club was quite remarkable. Mm. But then I, I played some big games in the Premier League for Oldham as well. And I remember playing against United at uh, Wembley in the semi-final of the FA Cup. Mm. You know, So some big games, some big games, but nothing compares you to uh, going to Marseille where... You've got to change your mentality. 
you're playing for a big club where you're expected to win, mm. where the supporters expect you to win every home game. And just the, just the sheer size of the club. You go there, the stadium's there, you know, the training ground's unbelievable. And just everything about the club, it's just totally different. The training was different. And it took a while, it took me a while to settle down, but, mm. um, you know, even the weather, something as simple as the weather where, you know, the, the climate back in Manchester, it's very rainy. You go to Marseille where sometimes you have to train in the afternoon because it's so hot, it's too... Mm too hot to train in the morning. You got the kickoff times were sometimes on a Saturday, eight o'clock at night mm. to, to be able to cope with the weather as well. Mm. Um, everything was totally different, but what do you do? You've got to adapt, haven't you? And, uh, listen, I love my time at Marseille. Absolutely love I love the, the challenge of it, really did. did uh, I must have helped a little bit that somebody like Tony Cascarino was there. Um, yeah. There was an advantage in having Tony Cascarino at the football club because he's someone to talk uh, English to every day. But then it becomes a disadvantage because I, I haven't spoken. I hadn't spoken French since I was at school, mm. so I needed to really progress quickly. And you just get a little bit lazy being English. And you know, if you're talking to Tony every day, it takes you away from you talking to the lads in the in the change room. And also, you know, you're a bit intimidated as well. You know what it's like to learn a new language. Yeah. You're going into a new changing room and you don't want to make any mistakes. But, mm. um, yeah, so, Tony was a great help. He told me about the football club, what to expect. So in, in, them, in, that, um, in that sense, it he, he, he was an advantage. You made your debut in a, in a 3-1 win over Wren at home in uh, early September '96. Don't know if you don't know if you remember, uh, listeners. He's looking up to he's looking up to the sky, yeah. racking his brain and going, "Nope, don't remember that one." Well, you did. Did Trust you me. win? You, did. you won. You won. You won. Of course, of course. Three, three, yeah, three, one. <laughs> you didn't score. You didn't. You didn't get many in your career. But you know, oh, get... <laughs> how how diff? Well, if you can't remember that specific game, don't ask me about that game. <laughs> <laughs> I think you came on at half time. Um, how different? But how different was French football for you? What 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 struck you about the game of football that was very different from playing in England? Just the, not really the, the technical side, it, it, the pace of the game. Um, anyone would tell you that whoever's played uh, in English and French football, English football is just so it's so quick and so fast. It takes your breath away. It takes you an hour before you get your so-called second wind and you're into the game then. Whereas I think the build-up play was a little bit slower in France, but then when you got in an attacking sense, when you got into the final third, it just exploded into life. You know, the passing and the, the, and the attacks got quicker. So as a defender, you'd have to be prepared for that because, you know, it'd be quite slow in the game. But once your position got towards your box and you'd have to, get your mind right because now they're going to up the pace of the game so in that sense it was just the overall pace of the game that was the big difference in the, between the two leagues Marseille had just come back to, to league to league game because they'd been they'd been relegated for some uh, under the table um, shall we say tactics I'm trying to put that politely <laughs> but the, the atmosphere the atmosphere at the club it, it would seem wasn't particularly great between between the team and the fans um, there was it must be pretty difficult being a Marseille player when the team when the fans are on your back I can't remember the, the atmosphere being 
a two pad between the, the the players and the supporters because it was our first season back. So the, mm. all I remember is the supporters being overjoyed and being back at where they belonged, mm-hmm. playing against the top team. So in that sense, I can't remember there being a, a bad atmosphere at the football club. Uh, they made a load of new signings in the summer, so it was always going to take a bit of time for the, the team to gel. The only time it became not intimidating, but I felt was at the home games where you were expected to win the home games. Never mind about just being uh, promoted back to league. You, you had to win the home game. This was Marseille. You win the home game. So the only time it, it went a little bit sour was if we got beat at home and you could hear the supporters maybe, you know, having a bit to do with the, the, with the police. You could always hear the, the, the police dogs barking and it got a little bit naughty, but... That came with playing for Marseille. I remember one time we, <laughs> we had to drive around the back of the, the stadium after the game to get away from the fans. I didn't remember them all kicking the car. <laughs> oh, and I, I remember once, um, I don't know whether it was the ultras or one section of the supporters, they, they came into the dressing room and they had a go a few of the players and it got a bit naughty like that, but... You know, that's Marseille, that's part of the club. That's, you know, like it, a lump it. You, you know, that's the pressure that comes with playing for Marseille. You probably learned a few uh, choice French words in those discussions, I should, Im- I should imagine. But <laughs> you, know, you know, when you're learning French, French or any language, you always learn the swear words first. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> but what's, what's it like? Li- I don't know if you lived in Marseille when you were a player there. Yeah. That that must be quite a goldfish ball experience. It must be quite difficult to go out on the street and even just go about your daily life. It's quite quite different. That's another difference between uh, England and France. You have the derby matches in in England and say Manchester. You you know, there's two main teams there: City, United. But you know, you've got the likes of Oldham and another team. So you're great at Manchester. You could have, I don't know, ten teams. London, you have twenty teams. In the North East, you can have five or six teams. So it, but when you go to France, it's, it, Paris is PSG, Marseille is Marseille, and, and that's it. So uh, that that was quite different because it was probably similar to living in Sunderland or Newcastle or Leeds, where it, it's a one one uh, city on one team. So all their focus is just on that team. Whereas it, you got Liverpool or Manchester, you know, there's a divide and a different mm-hmm. uh, difference of opinion regarding the football, but. Yeah, Marseille was was quite intense. Um, but then, then again, you could disappear because it was such a big city as well. Yeah. And on the outskirts, I mean, every Sunday, normally on a Sunday, I'd just get in the car and drive and, and go to Cassis or Bandol or yeah. I just used to go along the coast and just get in the car and disappear and, and get out of town really and just have a little bit of a breather because you know when you're coming back, it's the build-up to a massive game again where you've got to win. So... You played. I mean, you played twenty twenty nine games, twenty nine league games uh, that that yeah. season. Um, yeah. It it must have been something. You you must have worked pretty well with the coach who was uh, Gerard Gilly at yeah. the time. Yeah, oh, there's a little yeah. there's a, listeners. There's a little smile coming across Chris's face. But it was. I, I work here. I'm in Catanzaro. I work for a company called Outcast TV, and I work with Nicky Summerby and. Gerard Gilly came over to Qatar to manage Umsalal at one stage and I, I introduced him to Nicky Summerbean and, and Buzzer, that's his nickname, said, have you got any funny stories about Chris? So he, he said, well, I, I used to call Chris Mr. Tomato Head. <laughs> I, went, I didn't, when I first went over to play for Marseille, I had to play in this friendly game. I don't know where it was. 
but it must have been 100 degrees. We played this friendly game. Well, at half-time, I've come in, I can't breathe. And I just, it, just, it was a nightmare. And he's, he's come in and he went, Chris, are you okay? Or <laughs> this big red head. Like, Coach, finish, can't, can't go on for the second half. <laughs> so from, from then on, he used to call me Mr. Tomato Weather. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the tran- going from uh, playing in England to Marseille was it was so. I tell you what, I was helped a lot by the the uh, the physical fitness guy at the time it was called uh, Roger Propo, and he he really really helped me come along in terms of fitness because it was it was totally different. Uh, everything was off the stopwatch, totally different to England. You're doing proper training sessions, but Roger knew. Uh, I was finding it difficult, and he, he got me up to scratch uh, uh, quite quick. But Roger could never get the—he could never understand the difference between smoking and drinking. He used to have a go at me because when I, I used to live on uh, just off Boulevard Michelet, which is about—I was about ten minutes away from the ground. And Tony Cascarino was around the corner. And when I when I first moved into Villa Lucia, they built an Irish pub around the corner. Well, you know, you, you've got to pop in for a, a, a pint of Guinness every now and then, you know, get your iron levels up, and it's good for you, <laughs> isn't it, Guinness? So you used, <laughs> used to have one or two pints or maybe three pints of Guinness. But Roger used to go crazy at me. He said, Chris, why are you, why are you drink beer? Why, why? It's no good, you can't drink beer. I said, Roger, every time I come off after the game, I've got 10 of our team all smoking. Everyone smoked in the team. It was it. They, so Roger used to think it was worse having two pints of Guinness or two pints of beer than smoking 20 uh, cigarettes. He couldn't grasp it, the difference, and I couldn't grasp his way of thinking. Like, Chris, stop drinking. I said, oh, that's two pints, Roger. Tell everyone smoking, tell everyone to stop smoking. <laughs> <laughs> he thought two pints of beer was worse than 20, fat, uh, 20 cigarettes. I mean, about 1996, when you went there, I think it's about the time that Arsene Wenger went to to Arsenal and and is credited with, like, revolutionising, basically, training methods. So what you're saying is that those training methods were already in place in France, uh, so Wenger's taken them to England. So, again, I mean, that must have been a huge, a huge switch for you from what you were doing at at Oldham. Yeah, but I loved it. I loved it, Ian. It, it was totally different. It was all it was all time uh, by Roger and the coaches, and it, it was all it was a very technical aspect to it. Whereas even the training in England was much, much uh, more or less the same pace as, as the match, where everything was hundred miles an hour. There was no time to step back and work on a certain technique. It was five side games or eleven side games, and everyone crashing into each other and not getting a breathe. And the training was just as hard as the as the games, whereas when I went to Marseille, pace of training just it was unbelievable. You're working on volleying, you're working on a certain technique, and I absolutely loved it. I, I, I just remember thinking, my word, the difference in, in the training aspect was, was a million light years away from England. And like you say, Asavega took that over to, to England, a lot, along with the diet, the diet side as well. You know, that had to change in England as well. And it just started to change when I left in England. But when you get to France, it's a whole, whole new cat. Unbelievable! The, the difference in diet and training was superb. You had some, you had some real quality uh, technical players in in that squad as well. There was the the, the Bulgarian lad um, uh, Lechkov, who was so yeah. good for his country at the at the '94 World Cup. You know, Reynold Pedros, 
who'd come in as yeah. well, a very good player <clears throat> from Nantes. Yeah. Um, but you guys finished, I think it was 11th in the league. Was it halfway, mid- yeah. Mid-table, a mid-table finish. Was that, was that an underachieving Marseille side? I, I don't think so when you look back at it, but I think the supporters did at the time. And um, like I said, it's just a mentality of Marseille. You're expected to... I think... So, <laughs> I remember being somewhere in pre-season and I used to watch the, 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 uh, the football programmes. And they're all expecting us all tipping us to win the league. You're thinking, are we, are we that good? Are we, you know? And I'll tell you what another difference was between English and French football was the signings that the clubs made in pre-season or during the summer. English clubs very rarely made more than two or three signings. They was always adding on to the squad. But as I joined Marseille, and there's like 10 new players, so it's like a whole new squad coming together. Mm-hmm. You'd have the nucleus of the, the team that got promoted, which was all young more or less young uh, local lads, but then you're bringing in the new players and maybe that contributes to the, the uh, inconsistency in, in the results. But, mm. you know, you're signing 10 players and bringing them into, it's like a virtual uh, new team. It's mm. going to get take time for that to bed in. So maybe for me, I thought 10th was about right because I don't think we won an away game all season. That's been something ridiculous like that, where we were quite uh, strong at the Velodrome, but mm. I don't think we won an away game all, all season. So that tells you everything there straight away. It'll take, take you to a, take you to a happy, happy memory at the Velodrome. Like second last game of the season, your future Sunderland teammate, Eric Wah, scores a penalty. Uh, yeah. And you beat PSG. I mean, that, oh, must have yeah. been, that must have been... You've been involved in some great derbies at, at, at <laughs> Sunderland. But, um, yeah. I mean, that must have been something quite special to win a Classique against PSG. I always remember the, the atmosphere running out for that game. I could just picture it, not picture it, but, you know, the sounds in your head of all the whistles. And uh, I've never heard anything like it. It was just... Uh, and I'm sure it, you'll know better than me, you're good at the old stats, but I think the next week, PSG were playing Barcelona in the Cup Winners' Cup final. So everyone in Marseille, they had all these Barcelona flags. <laughs> Wearing the Barcelona shirts, <laughs> but I remember the atmosphere. It was oh, it's just I can picture it now. What what a night! Yeah, what an evening! It was wonderful. And just and to beat them, and we played well that night. We did play well that night. We deserved the win, actually. Yeah. Well, do you remember the next game? The last game of the I season. Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, for very different reasons, I would have suspect. At Leon. Yeah, seven seven yeah, nil down half time, eight nil eight nil at the end. That must have been quite. I talked <laughs> talk to um, you know what? I've always had a bad feeling about that match. There was just something not right, and you can't mm-hmm. go from being PSG to mm-hmm. getting beat eight nil. And I've always I've always carried a, it around with me. Sometimes it's weird. Even like sometimes I wake up in the night thinking about that, and I've, I've, I've all, I was always embarrassed to talk about it. And just, I've always carried a bad feeling about that, and I've always thought, what what went wrong that night? And, and I talked to uh, Mr. Gilly when he came out to go and interview him when he was at Nusalal, and um, there were some things that came to light about that game, and it wasn't it wasn't all to do with football. Okay, uh, and it just it put me at peace because I always I carried that feeling around with me for like twenty twenty odd years and uh, at least I got to the bottom of it I can't say what it is on here because it involves people's names but uh, you know it came to light what went wrong on that particular evening it was the build up to the match 
the current situation at the time at the football club and things were happening that was beyond my control and certainly beyond mine and other players' control. Anyhow. One, one teammate that you had that season was uh, a certain Christophe Galtier, who uh, people, people know now uh, very well as a very successful coach, Saint-Étienne, and, and now at Lille. I, when, you're, when you're playing alongside him, fellow, fellow defender, we, we, are you now surprised at looking at him as a, as a, a hugely successful coach in the French game? When you when you're playing, you're wrapped up in playing for Marseille. You're wrapped up in playing as a footballer in, in your career. You don't think you don't. I've never looked at a footballer in my life. And thought he'll make a good coach or he'll make a good manager. <laughs> so <laughs> too, too that busy trying to quote some. That's a no. I think we'll take I'm, that. I'm thinking about the car park run afterwards. You know, <laughs> when we're trying not to get the car booted in by, by the fans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about whether Christoph Galtier is going to make it as a coach or not. <laughs> but, yeah, he, you know, Chris, you know what? He was, he, he was a big help to me on the pitch, actually, because he used to talk English to me on the pitch, which I, re- I really appreciated. And he, he was one of the elder statesmen of the, of the club at the time. He was, he was an experienced player, very steady, very good on the ball. Uh, I liked him as a player, and he was a big help to me. And um, I like Christoph. We got on well. You clearly had a, a lot of fun at, at Marseille, um, apart from the dodgy car park run. But... You left, you left after just a season to go to Sunderland. Why, why, why did you leave? I didn't want to leave. Um, I talked to Peter Reid, the manager at Sunderland, a couple of times during the season, so I think he was keeping tabs on me. Um, and he made the move at the end of the season, uh, made a bid, I think it was £500,000. <coughs> it doesn't sound a lot now, but I think it was, it was a lot to Marseille at the time. Mm. Um, and they wanted the money straight off. Um, mm. I think Gerard Gilly went at the end of the season... Yes. Uh, Corbis came in. Yes. Obviously, made his mind up straight away that he didn't fancy me. Uh, there was a huge turnover again. Yes. It was like ten new players came into the, into the club, and um, he obviously made his mind up, and and that was it. But I didn't want to go. <laughs> I traded the Mediterranean Sea for the North Sea, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's talking about getting your head right for you know going from Oldham to Marseille. I had to I had to readjust going back to Sunderland. Mm. Really was because the, the lifestyle aspect is something different as well. You got to you got to remember. I played about thirty times for Marseille, and I, I thought I'd done okay, done well, mm. um, and I loved the social, the aspects. Uh, settled down in Marseille, loved living in Marseille. I loved it. Um, so to to leave all that, I was I was absolutely gutted. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, Chris, because you've criticised my native northeast and uh, beautiful Sunderland. <laughs> I don't know that one, I know. <laughs> the supporters in Sunderland. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for your time, Chris Makin. Uh, Chris, Chris Makin, as, uh, as you were probably once called by... Good the night, Ian. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. Merci, c'est très gentil. <laughs> oh, there you go. 